Jews believe in astrology? Yes. They are heavenly bodies. What power do they have? No power. So let's talk a little bit about astrology. So people do this all the time. Uh, I'm always amazed as you drive down um, in um, a lot of streets around here how many psychics um, there are. And they're all in business somehow. So there must be a lot of people going to psychics. Um, And people go to the psychic and they tell you what's going to happen and exactly what's going to happen in your life. And no matter what you do about it, at least that's what they claim. No matter what you're going to do about it, there's nothing you could do about it. Your destiny, your fate is going to find you one way or another, no matter how you act. At least that's what they tell you. Um, they tell this, this, the old Jewish tale uh, where a Jew, nice, Jewish, uh, nice Jewish girl decides she's going to go to a psychic. She wants to know her future. And so um, she opens the telephone directory. Today it would be Google. Looks for a directory of psychics, all these different um, hand this and um, ma, ma that. And she's looking at all these different names. And then she sees this one psychic called Myrna Goldberg. Thinks, okay, let me try. She's Jewish. I'll go to Myrna Goldberg. She comes to Myrna Goldberg. And uh, Myrna says, well, looks at her and looks at her hand and looks at it in the crystal ball. And Myrna says, you're, um, you're going to find very soon a wonderful man who is really the nicest person you can ever imagine. Most handsome, handsome man uh, you've, ever met, you've ever met before. And he will make your life happier than you can ever, ever imagine. She says, wow. And who is this man? And so Myrna says, oh, that's my son. <laughs> so the Jews believe in astrology. Now, today I'm going to talk about only astrology, not the, other, not the crystal ball, not the other thing, not the hand reading, not the other things the psychics might do. Um, we gave a class about a year ago, you may recall some of you, uh, about magic in Judaism. And that's a topic for itself. I'll touch on it briefly, but we're going to focus on astrology because as we'll see, astrology is somewhat different to magic. So the Torah in the portion of, <laughs> in the parasha of Re'e, in, uh, toward the end of the Torah in Deuteronomy, tells us that you, there shall not be found among you somebody who is a soothsayer, a diviner, someone who interprets omens, a sorcerer, a charmer, and the Torah continues, whoever does these things is an abomination to God. And because of these abominations that the other nations in Canaan are doing, God is driving them out and giving you the land, and rather you shall be simple or wholehearted with God. So we Jews are warned not to try to divine, not to predict the future, not to figure out omens, not to figure out auspicious times. Be wholehearted with God. Place your trust in God. So this is understood to be a general Jewish prohibition for all non-God-centered spirituality. So any form of paranormal activities, kind of invoking spirits, or other spiritual forces outside of God is prohibited in Judaism. 
You want to do something beyond your physical control? Turn to God, pray to God. God takes care of everything. Every other force going to psychics, Judaism does not allow for. Going, uh, trying to figure out your destiny or omens or trying to tell the future in all sorts of different ways, oracles, Judaism does not allow for. That is very clear. How about climate? Sorry? How about climate change? We're talking about paranormal okay. beliefs. Rabbi? So... I'm going to touch on that. Okay. So does this mean that these does this mean that these things are true? Are magical powers, crystal balls, hand readers, is there any truth to it? Or is it all just fake? Is it all meaningless? Is it all useless? So when we had the class on magic in Judaism, we mentioned that there is actually a great debate about this in Jewish thought. Many Jewish scholars, particularly Maimonides, Ibn Ezra, and many others were of the view that the paranormal forces do not exist. They're false. They're make-believe. Black magic doesn't exist. None of this stuff exists. It's all false. It's make-believe. It's garbage. Don't believe in it. The Torah keeps you away from it because it is all false. However, there were other ancient Jewish scholars, particularly Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, known as Nachmanides, or Ramban, and Rashi, and many other Jewish scholars who were of the view that there are paranormal forces in this world, there are demons, there are other spiritual, non-godly, or non-God-inspired, like angels, non-godly forces in this world, and there is such a thing as black magic, God doesn't want you to use it. But yes, indeed, it does exist. Yes, it does exist. God doesn't want you to use it. But yes, there is such a thing. So, there are these two views. Who is right? I don't know. I think I said that back then. And I'm not going to decide who is right and who is wrong. Regardless, we are forbidden from whether it works or it doesn't work, we are forbidden from employing any of these forms of magic. But what about astrology? So astrology, what is astrology? Astrology is that given the position in the sky of the stars and the planets at any given moment, at the moment of certain events, such as a birth or a wedding or other important life events, or at any given time, can tell you something about what's going to happen or can predict the future. Is there any truth to astrology? And are we Jews allowed to use it? So let me start off with the position of Maimonides. Maimonides, or the Rambam, is very clear in a famous letter he writes to the scholars of Marseille. The scholars of Marseille in France, he lived in Egypt. He communicated, he was recognized as a world leader in his time. Although he lived very far away for those days, um, he communicated with Jewish communities across the world. And in a very famous letter to the scholars of Marseille, he writes that astrology is magic like every other magic, and it does not work. It is false. There is no truth to it. it, is, it it's totally false. And 
Um, he says, further, Judaism forbids all sorts of magic, all sorts of divination, all sorts of using non, attempting to use non-physical forms to, um, whether to predict or to, um, or to control our lives, other than God, of course. And so therefore, we are forbidden from using astrology, from going anywhere near astrology. He writes the same things, Maimonides, in other works, including in his Mishnah Torah, in his commentary on the Mishnah, he writes very strongly that astrology is garbage. He says it's a magic, magical belief, and he writes a number of times, it's for fools, it's for fools and not smart people. He says, somewhat incorrectly, that smart people, such as the Greeks, didn't believe in astrology, while it was only foolish people like Babylonians that believed in astrology. However, however, Maimonides is an outlier in Jewish traditions. There are a handful of others that take Maimonides' view. Maimonides is an outlier. As a rule, almost all other Jewish scholars throughout history did believe in astrology and did not necessarily believe that astrology was forbidden in Judaism. A quick look at the Talmud shows us dozens of statements about astrology that show that the sages of the Talmud both showed that astrology was true and that it was allowed for Jews to use. The Torah allows for it. Now, Maimonides deals with that, and he deals, he tries to respond to each one as to how the Talmud could use astrology if astrology is not true. That's for a different discussion. For example, the Talmud in Brachot tells us that in the great yeshiva in um, Pompedisa, they were looking for a leader, for a scholarly leader, and they had two people they could choose from, Rav Yosef or Rabbah, and there was a great kind of there was a the great debate who should become the leader between the two, the leader of the yeshiva, and they chose Rav Yosef. But Rav Yosef refused to take the position because he had been told by astrologers that he will be the leader of the yeshiva for two years. And he was a young man, he didn't want to die in two years. So he allowed his colleague Rava to take the position, and indeed Rava was the leader for 20 years of the yeshiva. After Rabba's death, after Rabba's death, Rav Yosef took the position as leader of the yeshiva. And indeed, he was leader for two years. And after two years, he died. The, and there are many, many other such examples in the Talmud of scholars using astrology. The Talmud telling us different important things about astrology. Um, and the same is in the Midrash, you open the Midrash, the Zohar, and many other important ancient Jewish works speak of astrology. Now, scripture, the Tanakh, our Jewish scriptures, don't describe any particular astrology in detail, but in scripture it does refer to astrology many times. The prophets refer to the powers of the stars and the planets in a number of places in Psalms. And Isaiah refers to it. Other prophets refer to it. And so while so most Jewish scholars were of the view that astrology is not a form of magic. It's not even a paranormal force. It's not employing any spiritual powers, astrology. 
Most Jewish scholars are of the view that astrology is a natural science. Now, it wouldn't classify today as a science um, because many scientific studies that have been done regarding astrology have not shown any scientific validity to astrology. But Jewish scholars believe that a science in that it is a natural force in this world. It is not a spiritual force, but it's simply a nat- it is not a force that can be manipulated by humans, but it is a natural force that humans can read and understand, though we and live our lives based on, but we cannot manipulate at all. And so, um, so it's simply a reflection of reality, just like just like we can understand how nature works, we can understand how medicine works, we can understand how physics works, we can understand how astrology works and how the position of the stars and planets can impact our, can impact our lives and can impact what will happen. This is the view of many scholars, including, for example, Ibn Ezra, by Avram Ibn Ezra, who was a um, 12th century scholar, one of our greatest Jewish scholars. He lived in France, a little bit in Italy. Um, he was a big skeptic of magic. He didn't believe in magic, but he was a big believer in astrology and even wrote a number of books on astrology. And so, and the same view was the view of many others, including those who believed in that magic does work, but the Torah prohibited it, such as Ramban and Rashi. They were all believed in astrology, but not as a magic as a science. And therefore, unlike all other forms of magic that are prohibited in Torah, astrology is not forbidden in Torah. The Ramban, Nachmanis, Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, goes so far to say that it is a mitzvah to be careful with astrological warnings, just as you would if another scientific discipline, such as medicine, or such as or physics, told us that something was harmful, you would be careful of it because it's a mitzvah to protect yourself. In the same way, if astrological readings told you something was harmful, you would have to be careful of it as well because he believed it to be a science as well and you have to be careful and um, make sure to protect yourself. So... So we did, most Jewish scholars did historically believe in astrology and did study it and did practice astrology. And there are many, many Jewish works on astrology. However, they all believed that Jews are not limited to astrology. The Midrash tells us Abraham was a great astrologist. Abraham was one of the greatest astrologers. People would come to Abraham from all over to get astrological readings and to study astrology. Abraham was a great astrologist. So when God told, when Abraham told God, I have no children, he's, he's 99 years old. Um, Sarai was, was 89 years old. Or even earlier, when God originally showed him the stars, was before um, was before Yishmael was born. Yishmael was born when he was eighty-six, so he would have at the time been at least eighty, at, uh, um, younger than eighty-five. 
but he was still over between 75 and 85. He's an older man. His wife is 10 years younger than him. She's already older. She's post the age that most women would have children. And Abraham tells God, I don't have any children. I cannot have any children. The Midrash tells us, Abraham said, astrologically, I cannot have any children. The way the stars were lined up for me told me that I cannot have any children. And my wife Sarai cannot have any children. So God tells, takes Abraham outside. And why did he take him outside? He took him outside to show him that Abra- he said, the stars say you cannot have any children, but I am taking you beyond the stars. I am taking you outside of your astrological predictions, beyond your astrological predictions. You will have children anyway. A miracle, even though astrological science tells you you cannot have children, you will have children regardless. Later, God tells Abraham, I will change your name. The astrological prediction that you had was for Avram and Sarai. But you are now going to be Avraham and Sarah. By changing your name, I will change your astrological prediction. Which is something that we do employ uh, regularly in Judaism. If somebody is very sick, or somebody doesn't have children, or has some other problem, um, we will often change a name or add a name to them, and that changes their mazal, their astrological destiny. We can change that by changing somebody's name. So God does this over here to Avraham and Sarai. So... Another example of when the um, astrology is alluded to in the Torah and um, we Jews are beyond it. When Moses comes to Pharaoh and Moses tells Pharaoh, let my people out of Egypt that they shall serve God in the desert. Pharaoh tells Moses, There is Ra'a facing you in the desert. What is Ra'a? So, Pharaoh says, the, I see the planet of Mars rising over the desert. Mars is the red planet and the planet of blood. You are going to be slaughtered in the desert. There is a sign of slaughter. If you leave now, leave in this month, go to the desert, you will be slaughtered. And later, Moses indeed leaves. And they go to the desert. Later, the, the people worship the golden calf. And Moses, God wants to destroy the people, says, Moses, I am going to destroy this people and make you into a great nation. And Moses turns to God and he tries to employ every trick in the book to get God to change his mind. He says, God, remember their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What will the Egyptians say? And he says, the Egyptians will say, He brought them out with Ra'ah. I was right, says Pharaoh. Pharaoh, if you kill them now, Pharaoh will say, See, I told you they would be slaughtered in the desert. My astrological predictions were correct. You don't want to make Pharaoh right, God, so you better not kill them. Indeed, later, then they survive in the desert for 40 years. After 40 years, Joshua leads them into the promised land. 
And as soon as they cross the Jordan River, God tells Joshua, all the people who had not been circumcised in the desert, all the Jewish males, had not circumcised for 40 years. Um, They thought it was dangerous to circumcise in the desert. You hadn't circumcised for 40 years. They all must circumcise themselves. So all 600,000 Jewish men all circumcised themselves. And there was a lot of blood. And um, And God says in the book of Joshua... I have taken away Ru, I have taken away at Kherpat Mitzrayim. I have taken the disgrace of Egypt away from you. In other words, the Egyptians have been saying all this time, it's coming still, that slaughter is coming. We told you that it was predicted by Mars rising over over you as you were leaving. They said, We told you that it was coming, and they and Joshua says, Now see. The slaughter came, but it was slaughter in the form of mass circumcision. So it did come true. It did come true. Astrological sign. (laughs) Another great story the Talmud tells, but we can overcome the astrological signs. Another story the Talmud tells um, is about Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva's daughter was told by two astrologists that she will die on her wedding day. She will die on her wedding day. I think I told this story a couple weeks ago. She will die on her wedding day. And so she gets married, and she has a golden pin in her hair on her wedding, at her wedding. And after she goes home after the wedding, and Rabbi Akiva thinks he's never going to... She's survived so far, he thinks he's never going to see her again. She's not going to survive the next morning. She goes home after her wedding, and she takes off her pin. She sticks it in the wall. She wakes up in the morning. She pulls out the pin that she had stuck in the wall, and the pin was through the head of a venomous snake. She comes and she tells her father... And her father says, what? You must have done something good to overcome your astrological signs. What did you do yesterday? She says, well, there was a beggar came into the um, wedding hall during the wedding. Nobody noticed him, but I saw he looked lost. I gave him a plate of food. And Rabbi Akiva says, see, we Jews have a rule. Charity saves from death. And so the charity, giving charity, helping the poor, is what saved you, helped you overcome that astrological sign. So we can overcome it. And indeed the Talmud says, indeed the Talmud says that en mazal Yisrael. there are no astrological signs for Israel because a Jew can overcome any astrological sign. So we Jews, to sum it up, have generally believed in astrology, not as a magic, but as a science. And those who don't believe in astrology, you're in good company. Maimonides, Rabbeinu Hananel, other great scholars did not believe in astrology. Um, they're definitely a minority view, but you're in good company if you choose not to believe in astrology. Um, but Jews generally have believed in astrology, but we are not controlled by astrology because while astrology is nature, we have the ability to rise above nature through our choices. We can rise above our astrological signs through our choices. So whatever the astrologist may tell you is your future, you can choose to do otherwise. 
And fate will not chase you. We can rise above fate. Now we have to be clear. Most modern psychics are not astrologists. Most use idolatrous rites. So firstly, most use magic and magical forms that are forbidden in Judaism. Most use, I, um, most use idolatrous rites, um, Eastern rites, and which is I, forbidden as idolatry. We're going to have a class about why idolatry is so terrible um, in a couple of weeks. So steer clear of psychics. Judaism does not allow for it. Whether they're true and they work or not is irrelevant. The Torah does not allow us to use them. Um, I don't know if there are any practitioners of Jewish astrology today. In the last couple hundred years, many have written, many Jewish scholars have written, that while we have many old books of Jewish astrology, already a few hundred years ago, Jewish scholars wrote, there are no Jewish astrological practitioners anymore. Nobody who truly understands Jewish astrology. We've lost the Jewish astrological science already a couple hundred years. I don't believe there are any Jewish astrolog- uh, uh, astrologers today. There may be some who claim to be. I don't know if they are true or not because I don't have the astrological knowledge to be able to verify them or not. So it, take your chance. Yes, So what are, though, the Jewish astrological signs? What do we know? So the astrological signs are generally said to come from Babylonians. Jewish sources are clear. We believe that we had them first. One of our oldest books, and indeed the astrological signs from Babylonia are dated about two and a half thousand years, two thousand, two and a half thousand years. Um, the Torah, as we mentioned, refers to, and Scripture refers to astrological signs many, many times, going back over 3,000 years. So the references to astrology in our Scriptures definitely predate the common beginnings of astrology, in, uh, of Babylonian astrology. So we believe we even have evidence that we had it first. One of our oldest works is a book called Sefer Yetzirah, or the Book of Formation. It's one of the oldest Jewish works. Um, it's a post-biblical book. It comes from either late Second Temple or post-Second Temple period. Um, and it's a very, very short work. It has six chapters. It's a couple pages, the whole book. But, and it speaks of how God created the world. And it says that God used astrological signs or the stars and the planets in, as part of the process of creation. And how he did that, I'll soon explain. But first, what are the Jewish astrological signs? So Jewish astrological signs generally involve two different sets, both important, but the first one is usually the one that is used more commonly. The first set of astrological signs are the seven spheres or the Shiva Galgalim, the seven spheres. Those are seven things that rotate in our sky outside of the stars. Rotate across our sky outside of the stars. They are firstly the moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So they are the planets plus they didn't have Neptune or Pluto. No, I'm saying but the sun. The sun doesn't rotate. Well, that goes across our sky. Those are the seven things that go across our sky. And in the order of 
closest to Earth or those that go the fastest to those that go further. Um, in other words, the moon goes, travels around the fastest across the sky, then Mercury, then Venus, then the sun. Um, Venus is always right um, next to the sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. So, moon, the moon, Mercury, Venus, the sun, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Those are the ones that we could see with our naked eye, right? So we have, and so those seven, those, those seven planets all revolve in complex, um, all move across our sky in very, very complex rotations. In other words, unlike the sun that's pretty predictable, the, other, the sun's pretty straightforward, and the, most of the stars are pretty straightforward, all the other planets are pretty complex in the way they, because they're, there's multiple rotations, right? We rotate and they rotate. They're pretty complex in the way they rotate across our sky. But they're all predictable because they're all rotated in a predictable manner. And so we can predict when they will rise and when they will go down. Um, the seven days of the week, of course, um, correspond to those seven, um, those seven um, mazalot, or those seven... Um, things that rotate across our sky or that pass across our sky, um, although they don't run exactly over the seven days of the week. In Jewish astrology, we have two forms. In other words, we have both a standard where every hour they switch out over the seven days of the week. So every hour is another one of the seven. So every um, Sunday at sundown, uh, Saturday night at sundown, it starts again, the rotation of the seven, and it's just an hourly rotation. But that's not... Um, astronomically accurate and then we have the astronomical calculations which are of course a lot more complex and we use both Um, in addition to that we have the signs of the zodiac which was used more which is used today more commonly and was more often used by the Greeks though less often in Judaism um, which are the uh, 12 signs which are the the stars rotate across our sky and um, the stars across the entire sky can be split into 12 groups, um, which are the 12 signs. Um, And those 12 groups of stars, um, each one has a different shape, and they rotate over the year. In other words, um, at the beginning of the spring equinox, you'll have the Arius will will be the first set of stars you'll see after sundown. And then um, a month later, um, on the... Oh, exactly one month after the spring equinox, you'll see Taurus um, at the beginning of the, uh, right after sundown. And that way, every month, you'll see essentially another, um, another zodiac or another constellation will be there at the, t- right after sundown um, in the sky. And then every hour, of course, they switch because they're revolving across our sky. So they take, uh, sorry, every two hours. They take it just a little... Um, they take a little under two hours to, um, to switch each sign of the zodiac. So the 12 signs of the zodiac are um, Aries, which in Hebrew is Tale. Tale means a sheep. And in Hebrew, in Judaism, we don't follow the... Um, in he- it, just as in the days of the week, um, in addition to where they actually are at any given moment, we also look at 
um, every day and every hour which one rules kind of as a standard. So we do the same thing in Hebrew. We do it, among, uh, we do it along the lunar months. So the sheep is the lunar month of Nisan. Um, then we have um, Taurus, which is the, um, or in Hebrew, Shor, the ox, uh, which is the month of Iyar. Um, there's Gemini, or in Hebrew, Tu'umim, twins, which is the month of Sivan. Cancer, or in Hebrew, Sarton, the crab, which is the month of Tammuz. We have Leo, the Ari, the lion, in the month of Av. Um, Virgo, in Hebrew, Betula, or the virgin, in the month of Elul. Libra, these are the Greek names. Um, or in Hebrew, Moznayim, the scales, in the month of Tishrei. Um, Scorpio, or Akrab, scorpion, in um, Cheshvan. We have um, Sagittarius, Sagittarius um, or Keshet, which is a bow, in the month of Kislev. Um, Capricorn, or Gedi, the goat, in the month of Tevet. Um, Aquarius, in, or the Dili, the bucket, in the month of Shvat. And um, Pisces, 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 sorry, Dagim, in the fish, in the month of Adar. And um, they correspond to these different months. Toled, the sheep, corresponds to the month of Nisan, um, the areas, the sheep, resp- uh, corresponds to the month of Nisan, which is the month of Passover, right? The, uh, for the Exodus, we offered a Passover sacrifice, which we always, um, and the Passover sacrifice was central to Passover, and um, it's a time of redemption, and that's the month of the, uh, of the sheep. Um, and just a couple others, um, the um, month of Tishrei um, is the month of judgment, and that's Moznayim, that's the scales, right, the scales of judgment. Um, and the, the other notable one is um, Pisces, or Adar, the um, fish. And the fish is um, for, we believe that fish are um, good luck because they, um, they multiply very quickly and um, they never close their eyes, and God doesn't close his eyes, and so it's a time of good luck for Jews. And um, that's, of course, the Purim celebration is in the month of Purim. So each of these things are constantly rotating. As we said, there are multiple different calculations for each one. There's the standard one, um, in other words, based on the month or based on the hour, which kind of rotates on a standard way, the seven days and every hour a different, a different one, or the 12 months and every two hours a different one. So there's the standards, and then, uh, then there's, the, uh, uh, then there's um, the months, the Hebrew months of the year, and then there's the astronomical signs where they actually are astronomically in the sky at any given moment and which position they're in. So all of that is taken into account, the exact science... Um, and the exact details is not something that I am well versed in. And as I said, scholars for some time have said that Jewish astrology, um, which we believe others took from us and then corrupted, but Jewish astrology, um, has, which we do have many works on it, um, but nevertheless the scholarship of Jewish astrology is no longer widely known, and this is already written a couple hundred years ago, and so we no longer actively practice Jewish astrology, though we do have many signs that we still use, such as we consider Adar the month of good luck is an example. Um, the um, first, the um, twelve hour, six hours after 
midday on Friday is considered a um, negative hour, and so we have a custom not to make Kiddush in that hour. We don't make Kiddush six hours after midday. That would be about 6.45 to 7.45. We don't make Kiddush in that hour. So we have um, very specific customs that we do for astrological signs um, still today, but generally we don't take people's astrological um, tables anymore, and we don't have the Jewish scholarship. So years ago, I went to the Kabbalah Center on Robertson, and the first thing I was asked was, what's your sign? I, I thought I was in a hippie's time. <laughs> because it was years ago, but it wasn't that, you know, as far back as the 60s. Right. I so, would say that Judaism doesn't have the what's your sign from the little knowledge I have. In other words, in other words, just the fact that you were born on a, you know, in a given month between the 21st of one month and the 21st of the next month, I don't think that's part of Jewish astrology at all. Um, although I'm not very familiar with it, I don't know what those claiming to be Jewish astrologers, I don't know exactly what they're practicing. And if I did, I don't know much about Jewish astrology. So I really cannot comment. There may be, as I said, it's already for some time been claimed that there are no Jewish astrologers. It's already a few hundred years. So I personally don't know anyone who's a Jewish astrologer, and there may be, and I, there are definitely those who claim to be, but always be careful. Um, you want to ask for a second opinion. Yeah. So let me get this straight. In my life, astrology has always been about uh, individual characteristics and whether uh, men and women are compatible with one another. Um, and you haven't even touched on that, except for right now you're saying that that is rejected completely in Jewish philosophy. Is that what I'm hearing? Not all of it, some of it. I mean, there are characteristics. The Talmud says that someone born under Mars will be um, a murderer. The Talmud goes further to say that it's up to you how you, how you deal with it. You could choose to be a shokhan, a ritual slaughterer, or a doctor. You're cutting people up, but you're still, uh, but you're doing it in a positive way. Um, so... <laughs> so, the, so in other words, you'll have certain tendencies. People born under certain planets will have certain tendencies, and the Talmud does say that. Um, and although, as we said before, we have the ability to control what we do with that, we believe humans have free choice. I just don't believe that the commonly quoted zodiac based on Greek kind of zodiac signs um, are authentic to Judaism. I don't believe so. I don't think the Talmud says it. I don't. I haven't studied much Jewish astrology. The Talmud doesn't say it, but there may be other astrological works. I don't know. There are a lot of Jewish astrological works. I haven't really studied any of them. Um, I'm giving a class on astrology without knowing much about astrology itself. Okay, I'm giving you a an overview on the relationship with Judaism and astrology, and uh, based on my knowledge of Judaism. But I don't know much of Jewish astrology, and as I said. I don't believe, and it's been claimed for some time already, meaning some centuries already, that Jewish astrology is not widely understood anymore. So I don't, and I do not, one thing I do know that the 
Greek version of astrology you'll often see in the astrological signs on newspapers or that people often tell you is not authentic to Judaism. That is not Jewish astrology. They're not the same. Excellent point. Excellent point. So how does astrology work? Let me explain the, ba- the science behind it, at least the Jewish science behind it. You call it science. So what is exactly the Jewish understanding behind astrology? So Kabbalists explain the Hebrew word for astrology, which means both constellations and planets, is the word mazal. Now you're familiar with the word mazal tov, right? Mazal tov means good astrological signs. I wish that you should have good astrological signs um, because that's mazal, right? So the Hebrew word mazal means astrological sign. That's, That's what it means. Now the... Now, the Kabbalists explain the Hebrew word mazal comes from the word, the root word, nozel. Nozel in Hebrew means to drip. 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 To drip. Right. So, mazal means something that drips. What does that mean? So, we believe, we believe that God created the world with godly energy through the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And we, I touched on this last week in brief when we, were talking about, um, when we were talking about programming. But we essentially believe that God built our world um, similar to programming on a processor of um, building blocks where the building blocks or the lang- programming language is the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the book of Sefer Yitzirah, the book of formation, um, explains how God did it and explains the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And so God built on the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and based on the Asara Mamarot, the 10 utterances of creation, and built around the Torah, God built all the building blocks of this world. And everything that exists in this world is really similar, as we explained last week, similar to the screen on your computer, where when you, hit, when you right-click your mouse and you hit open source, instead of the screen, suddenly you see the source code, right? And you'll see all just words on your screen. So everything in this world that you see is also just a mirage, it's just what it looks like, just the pixels, but really behind it is source code. That source code is godly force, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Those 22 letters explained Sefer Yetzirah are actually split into 3, 7, and 12. There are three foundational letters, Aleph, Mem, Shin, are the three foundational letters. Those three letters correspond to, in our reality, three basic forms of matter, which is esh, mayim, rakia, or gas, liquid, and solid. And then, the, um, then there are seven letters, bays, gimel, dalet, kaf, pei, resh, and taf. 
which um, are the uh, which correspond to the seven planets, and those also correspond to seven emotions, and God built using those building blocks. And then there are another 12 letters, the other 12, the, 12, the last 12 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, those are then secondary letters used in creation, used, and those correspond to the 12 signs of the zodiac, and they also correspond to the 12 connections between the first 10. So in other words, the first 10, according to Kabbalah, there are 12 ways that those first 10 connect, and they're called Yudbet Gvule Alachson. There are 12 angles, and those 12 connections are used, are the, represented in those other 12 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And they actually correspond in our real life. Every cube has three sides to it, right, which is the first three. And every cube has 12 angles. There are 12 angles on every cube. So, based on that, says the Sefer Yitzra, Book of Formation, those are the building blocks of our world, and that is the programming language that God used to program every single thing that exists within our world. And everything that exists is built on that godly force to the point that we said last week that if God shuts off the power one moment, everything ceases to exist. God controls everything in essentially programming everything and every detail that exists in this world. Now, the Sefer Yitzhara, the Book of Formation, explains that those planets and constellations that we have, those, those planets and constellations, are essentially macro expressions of these 22 Hebrew letters. So, there, so God expressed himself in a micro way in every detail in this world, but there are also macro expressions. And those are expressed in everything else that exists in our universe. Those macro expressions are essentially a reflection of everything on earth. So if you know how to properly read those macro expressions, it can tell you a little bit about how things are working here on earth. Now, God taught Abraham, and that's what it says in Sefer Yetzirah, God taught Abraham um, how our world works and taught him the Jewish astrological signs and how to read the planets and stars to be able to understand exactly what is happening on earth. And Abraham then taught that further, and it was taught to Moses, and that has been incorporated into Jewish teachings over the years. But as we said, we believe in the last few hundred years it has been forgotten, and already for a couple hundred years we have not actively practiced Jewish astrology. But Jewish astrology is the belief that everything is created by God, and everything is controlled by God, and our macro world, it's not magical, rather, and it's not some sort of spiritual power, it's simply a, uh, the, um, the universe outside of our earth is a simply an expression of God's programming, and essentially if you want to be able to read the program, you want to be able to see the text of the programming language, the universe around us has, is, expresses the programming language for everything that exists within our world. So that's how astrology actually, that's the details of how it works. But, but God placed humans on earth and gave humans free choice. He gave us the ability to manipulate our world above and beyond the way God controls our world. So we can make choices and we can choose to do things 
and God will then allow our world's programming, similar to someone playing a video game, where you play your video game and it's programmed, but as you make choices in your video game, the game then plays based on how the player chooses. Only we are inside the video game and given the opportunity to play. So we're inside our world, but we are able to make choices within our world and manipulate our world. And therefore, whatever the macro programming tells us is supposed to happen is all outside of our choices. But our choices can then have greater impact, and we can then change it, and therefore we believe in Mazali Yisrael, there is ultimately no... Um, Astrology for Israel. Israel is beyond the mazal. And while we do want a mazal toe, we do want a good mazal, we do want a good astro- astrological sign, but we ultimately control that because we ultimately have the keys to control our lives and control creation through our own power.